But in our previous lesson, if you remember, we kind of talked about, well, first and foremost, the most important thing when it comes to family life of any Christian is where is God's place in it? And what does God want to do through you and in you as a family? And we realized, I hope that we all walked away, that God is completely committed um, to making a marriage relationship work and function. Uh, as we saw that what man puts, or that what God puts together, what does the text say? And I'm sure many of us remember from our weddings, let not what man put asunder. So we see that God is totally committed to this. Um, he's involved in our marriages being joyous and fulfilling. So here's the question. Uh, you reflect on this question uh, personally, I suppose. Why then do so many Christians have unhappy marriages loaded with strife? So think about it in that context. If God is partnering with us for this purpose, why is it the case that in many, many times, why do Christians have unhappy marriages that are completely loaded with strife? In fact, if you look at the statistics, and for a little while, I don't know if it's trended the other way, but Christian people had a divorce rate as high as um, unbelievers, and at one point it was actually higher than, I think it was like 52% to 48%. I don't know if that's trended one way or the other. Um, but that's kind of an amazing statistic, isn't it? When we think about everything we think about from last lesson. So what, what happened? And that's what we're going to talk about today in lesson two is crucifying self. So what most often takes away the joy and peace of our homes is the refusal to crucify self. And that might be a new term, um, for some in here, and we're going to kind of dig into what does that mean and how does it apply specifically to our relationships in life. The outward issue is never what the conflict is about. Do you agree to that? So what we're fighting about, what we're arguing about, what we feel displeasure about is generally not the actual underlying issue that's happening. True? What fuels conflict are wills and egos that are unwilling to bend. I think most of us have been married in here for any length of time, longer than a day. So we understand that this is sometimes the case, that whatever we're arguing about, whatever the surface level thing is, what's at the root of it all is generally two wills or two egos that are unwilling to bend. And that's when things generally go off the rails. Why then do so many Christians have unhappy marriages loaded with strife? So here's the big message. I like to put this at the beginning so that if you walk away wondering what on earth was he talking about, you can look back and say, I remember that in family life, as in every aspect of life, when our will clashes with God's will, we must crucify the flesh. See, because as we walk through this lesson, what I want us all to gather is that it's not about me versus them or them versus me. It's us versus God. God has a will that applies to both of our lives. It's almost triangular in nature. And if both of us can agree to what God says we are to do, then won't we be in um, unity with each other? Does that make sense? So we, we, we got to move away from the idea of seeing ourselves as adversarial with each other. And we're always, because of our fleshly nature, adversaries with God. So we're not crucifying ourselves in a way that's um, condescending ourselves under another human being. What we're doing is we are submitting ourselves to God. And when both people choose to do that, that's when God can, can really bless a marriage relationship. So we'll kind of walk through this a little bit. The first point is this. The major cause of conflict failure to crucify self. So here's a couple quick points. When conflict arises, the end that we must desire is not victory, but unity under the will of God. All parties should battle for this thing. That's why I put it in bold. What we're battling for is not for my ego. It's not for my desire. It's not for me winning. What we should be battling for is what's God's will. What's his desire? What does God say is the good thing in this situation? 
And how can both of us get on board with that? And once that's been found, now we have the responsibility to submit to it. It's one thing to oppose each other as forces. It's impossible for us to continually oppose God. True? So we must find what God's will is and then submit to it. So the second thing is, small people desire small victories, right? I forget who it was, but somebody gave me a quote, and it said, the, the measure of a person isn't somebody that takes small things and makes them into bigger things. It's somebody that can take bigger things and turn them into smaller things. You know, you know what they meant by that? Is just, it, I guess the idea of that is drama. True? Take a small thing and to make it bigger than it really is. But a mature person takes a big thing, a genuine, okay, this is going to be catastrophic, and is able to minimize it and reduce its effect. I think that's why um, we have here small people desire small victories, forgetting the greater pursuit of victory. When we feel humiliation or a loss of power or influence, it's common to forget Christian principles in our reaction. True? We pay lip service to the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. I expect the fruits of the Spirit to be pouring out of me. And as the, the word is preached, we nod and we say this and that. And then somebody cuts us off in the parking lot and a string of expletives fly out as we flip them off. Or the server, Bob Evans, forgot our mashed potatoes and we just lose it. We come unhinged. Our reaction is not in response with our belief system. It shouldn't be that way. But it all comes back to crucifying self. So here's the solution. The solution, simply put, simply put, but not simply lived out, is to crucify self. The primary call of being a follower of Jesus is to crucify self. So you're in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So this is the call of Jesus to the Christian. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. That is not a popular position in the culture. That is not a popular position. In fact, I just heard... Um, uh, a pastor talking about this exact thing. And there was a famous Christian philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. And back in like the early 1900s, he was sitting in a church and he was sitting in the velvet pew and the pastor put on his velvet robe and he pulled out his golden gilded Bible. And then he took his silk um, bookmark and laid it over the Bible. And he proceeded to read this exact text, let him deny himself. And he thought the weirdest thing about that situation is all the people sitting in that context didn't laugh when the pastor said it because it just seems so absurd. True? We don't have any concept of what, and I, I include myself in the we, we don't have any concept of what it means to genuinely deny himself, take up his cross daily, and to follow me. But that's the call of Christ on our lives is to deny ourselves. Secondly, this is a daily practice. So go with me to Paul's writings in Romans chapter 12. You got your Bible with you or your tablet or phone, um, I, I encourage you to look at, you know, put eyes on these things so you know it's just not me making this stuff up, that this is truths we find in Scripture. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So it's a daily practice. So Jesus calls us to this practice. Paul tells us that we must observe this practice daily. So that means a daily disciplined decision that when I am confronted with an opposing will or force, I'm not going to react in an unchristlike way. In fact, I'm going to seek God and say, God, what would you have me to do? And then respond accordingly. That's crucifying self. Galatians 2 and verse 20. So go a little farther over towards the back of the New Testament. Paul's writing again to the church in Galatia. And here's what he says in chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we live physically, what the goal is, is that we should, as far as our will is concerned, be dying. We are dying to self, and we are letting who live through us. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but who lives in me. Christ lives in me, Christ lives through me. At home, at work, in our community, in our churches, if Christ is living through us, don't we have a common bond? Christ is living through me, and Christ is living through you, and Christ is living through you. Do we have the same bond? We have the same connection? There's unity there. Flip the page over. Every day we live our lives, our will, will clash with God's. In fact, God has a higher way, doesn't he? Isaiah 55. We learn a little bit about God and his understanding of things. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are what? They're not your thoughts. Have you ever sat back and thought or even prayed, God, I do not understand what is happening, or God, I do not understand what you are doing? Anybody? You can, you can relate and you can reflect. That's natural because the scriptures tell us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as heaven, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Does that mean that, it, that we can never understand that God is so transcendent beyond us that we can never access his thoughts and understanding and why and how we should do things? No, no, no. Because he left us with the scriptures with which to follow. But naturally, I don't want to follow after God's ways. There are ways of God that are beyond our understanding. But we haven't even hung on to the practical things that we can, we can hold on to just by reading the scriptures. True? So we should agree to start there. Asking God daily what he desires in our life to be crucified. So the call on the Christian is to be crucified. It's a daily procedure that requires Christ living through us. And if it's a daily procedure, what does the prayer look like? Lord, identify for me today what in my life needs to be crucified. That's very practical. Every one of us can pray that. We can every morning say, God, there is something in my life because I am human. I am flesh that needs to be crucified and that will be submitted to your will. Show me what it is and then make me willing to do that. Right? Just practical things. Failure to follow these principles will what? Result in an unhappy home. True? And that's a place that we don't want to live in. Children don't want to live in. They don't want to be a part of. They want to live in a place where two people are united to submit to God's will. And in that, we can then find genuine happiness. And more importantly, we find real joy.